It's all about your health, your wellness. Radio MD. RadioMD.com. Get healthier, get fit, eat better, have a richer quality of life. Health on the go. Staying well with Melanie Cole, MS. The recent outbreak of fungal and fungal meningitis that occurred in September of 2012 left dozens of patients needing treatment for a rare fungal infection, and it was unprecedented. But my guest today, Dr. Thomas Kirkering, is the Chief of Infectious Disease at Carilion Clinic at the Virginia Tech University School of Medicine, treated these patients. Tell us about the the couple of dozen patients that came up with this fungal meningitis. What was it? How did you find it? And what did you do about it? Well, that's a, a loaded question. So as is, you yes. uh, mentioned, it uh, began uh, for us towards the uh, end of September. I think we saw our first patient patient on the 30th of September. And then we really started seeing patients on uh, the 4th of that October uh, through most of that month. And uh, primarily it was patients who were coming in uh, with headaches and uh, some mental fogginess. And uh, when we did lumbar punctures on them, they were abnormal. And, of course, about uh, two or three days into this, we had then heard uh, the CDC put out a health advisory concerning the fungal meningitis and uh, having it associated with epidural spinal infections or spinal injections. So we ended up overall with uh, 37 patients uh, that we treated. Their age range was from 16 to uh, 93. And you're uh, correct in that it was an unusual organism, uh, Exerohylomostratum. And that is a pigmented fungus that we know is a dematiaceous organism, usually found in soil or uh, organic material. And uh, I think in the last 30 years, I'm not exactly sure, there maybe have been seven reported cases of this in the central nervous system. So we had a number of patients for which there really was or were no guidelines uh, for treatment. So what we did was we decided we would uh, uh, standardize our therapy and then uh, make changes accordingly. So we started on uh, antifungal, uh, an antifungal agent, and we did uh, lumbar punctures every week on the patients. Uh, to determine uh, if they were improving or not. And actually, the first uh, week into it, uh, the spinal fluid even became more abnormal, and it was only at about week three that we started to see improvement. The shortest period of time that we treated a patient, uh, I think, was 84 days, and the longest time has been a year and a half. All of our uh, of the 37 patients, actually, we had um, uh, three deaths, two uh, before we could even start them on therapy, and then uh, one during therapy. So that left us with uh, uh, 34 patients, all of whom I'm glad to say are uh, alive uh, and doing well and free of the fungus at this point. Dr. Kirkering, what would really send someone to see you? What symptoms? People always want to know about symptoms. And if they were to contract this fungal meningitis, what would they notice? Well, uh, first of all, uh, 
it's a very uncommon fungal meningitis. There's actually a more common one known as uh, cryptococcus, but you uh, have to be uh, immunosuppressed uh, to get that. The only way patients got this infection was through that uh, uh, spinal epidural injection. But in general, the symptoms are, for the fungal meningitis, uh, headache, maybe some uh, mental confusion, and perhaps a subtle changes in behavior. And then as you go along, beside the mental confusion may become worse, and uh, you may or may not develop a, a stiff neck. So they're very, uh, they're, they're subtle, so that everyone who has a headache, uh, fever, and a little confusion shouldn't uh, immediately uh, uh, panic. But those basically are the, uh, the signs and symptoms that we're looking for. Dr. Kirkering, this really presented a good learning opportunity for you and your team members. So what did you guys learn that could help patients in the future and help other doctors and hospitals that might come across this? Well, one of the things was there really had not been anything much in the literature to provide guidelines. So in addition to getting the lumbar punctures on a weekly basis, we collected all of our data, had um, certain uh, rules for when we were going to change medicines, etc. So we had more or less a, uh, a standardized protocol down that we could change when needed to because of the patient's condition. So we were able to learn about um, the side effects and the actions of a of a couple of antifungal drugs, and the first thing we learned is we still don't have perfect antifungal drug. You want a drug that will uh, kill the fungus. You want a drug that will easily get into the central nervous system. You want a drug that is not toxic to the human and that does not have uh, interactions with other medications. That would be the ideal one. And every one of our antifungal drugs doesn't meet all of those criteria. They only meet uh, two, maybe three at the most. So we still need some new uh, antifungal drugs. Uh, the next thing we learned uh, is that actually it was very helpful to do serial lumbar punctures in these patients to uh, determine whether or not uh, we were truly seeing improvement. And then we also collected uh, and stored that spinal fluid. And uh, as you may be aware, the CDC was running tests on the spinal fluid for the diagnosis of that particular organism. But there is a newer test uh, that uh, is being developed that's out there. It's called beta-D-glucan. And those molecules, the beta-D glucan molecules, uh, make up polymers that form in the cell wall of the fungus. And so when the fungus begins to disintegrate uh, or on its own, uh, you may see, uh, may be able to measure beta-D glucan. No one had done that in the spinal fluid before. So in conjunction with uh, Dr. Anastasia Latvinetsa, in the CDC Mycology Reference Laboratory. We set up uh, uh, testing for that and actually have been able to publish the results that show that we, we can measure uh, the beta-D-glucan in the spinal fluid. It correlates with uh, both the clinical activity and the other 
CSF's cerebral spinal fluid uh, parameters, and that as it goes down and stays down, we know that the the patient uh, uh, has responded well. What a great way to tell that your treatment is working and to pass it on to you know, other institutions around the country and even around the world to let them know of your great breakthroughs. And so in just the last 30 seconds, if you would, Dr. Kirkering, please give us your best information that you want listeners to really take away from this important discovery of yours. Well, first of all, it's, it's not my important discovery. There's The credit has to be spread around, particularly uh, to uh, Dr. Letfinsetso's lab in the uh, CDC, Center for Disease Control. But it does look like we have a new way of uh, following, uh, making a diagnosis of fungal infections, following the infections on therapy, and determining outcome. Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio MD. And if you missed any of the great information that we're giving out, you can listen anytime, on demand, or on the go at RadioMD.com. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Your Radio MD, and be sure to share these shows with your friends because information as we've given out today on these fungal infections and fungal meningitis are so important to spread around and share with your friends. Put them on your Facebook page and show people how much you learned. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening and stay well.